uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to talk to you. Oh, I I got the message from Dave, and I was like, talk about bass for you know, sure. <laughs> yeah, I am down with that. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I'd start off by asking everyone, uh, when did you know music was going to be a part of your life? Oof. Um, I mean, my my mother was a, a professional opera singer, so there was a, and a, when she stopped singing publicly, she still taught vocals and uh, and piano. Uh, she's a really accomplished piano player. Uh, she's from that old school era where people are like, "Oh, I'm not very good at this," and yet you know she sight reads and she's like a phenomenal piano player. Anyway, uh, music was always around. So it was always going to be a thing in my life. Uh, I I mean, you know, in high school, I had this fantasy that I'd be able to be a professional musician and be in a band or something. But, you know, that's just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What what kind of music were you listening to in high school? Mostly mostly, uh, classic heavy metal. Uh, Big fan of like uh, bands like Zeppelin and uh, Black Sabbath uh yeah you know those those are the biggies also i you know i i love most uh hard, classic hard rock they started uh, to lose me a little bit on the progressive stuff you know the, the prog rock shit <laughs> got uh got a little beyond me yeah um, I, i'd say jimmy page is really one of the most influential musicians for me and the, the way i play and the way i approach and interpret music really uh what like yeah. what um what makes Jimmy Page like an influence to you? Well, I think when I one of the things that I really liked about Jimmy Page was uh, his his Robert Johnson esque looseness, like what some people would call sloppy. I thought was really like that sounded to me like a more natural way to interpret the music. You know, uh, a, a very like formatted, stiff regimented by the numbers approach never really clicked with me. It did. It just, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, uh, I'm really going off the deep end now. Like it's, it's kind of like my, my, my thing with jazz. Like mm-hmm. I can fake playing jazz, but I am not any good at it because I don't feel it. So it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's just not there in my heart to, to really do it and do it properly and give it the respect that it's due. I can, play it you know what i mean technically i can play the parts but i don't think i'm any good at it yeah and uh, i think that's part of that is that jimmy page thing that i that i like about page and his approaches is there's a, a looseness and a freedom and a, and a more honest authenticity it's kind of if you're not limited by using words you could just express yourself and people would get it yeah <laughs> you know that to me that's that's ideally what you're going for when you're playing yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really good way to put it. Um, were you playing guitar uh, in high school, or were you playing bass? Cool. Uh, really, neither. Um, I didn't really. When did I? I started playing in college. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I played in high school. I also did a lot of weightlifting in high school. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so I didn't really play anything. I mean, like when I was, you know, preteen and whatnot, I took piano lessons. I played the the euphonium in the band for a year or two. I wasn't any good at either of those. <laughs> uh, I sang a little bit until my voice broke, but uh, was I didn't really pursue it in high school. And then in college, I kind of like, you know, somehow I got a bass. I don't remember even how I got <laughs> the bass, but I got it and I BS'd my way into a band. So, you know, if you're the bass player, you can kind of get away with not doing a lot. And people are like, oh, that's cool. He's minimal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could also mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I just got this thing on Thursday. You did it, though. You made it. Uh, what yeah, kind of <laughs> who would have thought, right? <laughs> what kind of music uh, was that band playing? Hmm. Let's see. That would have been a band. Um, we were playing cover songs. We were called Technical Difficulties. And uh, 
we were playing uh, cover songs and then we lost a couple members and we became like this uh, uh, fusion jazz trio. And at this point, like I'm, I'm practicing six hours a day. I'm playing with the band two hours a day. Like my chops are really pretty good, you know? Uh, but I noticed the band had a phenomenal ability to clear a room of an audience. And uh, that was one of my first eye-opening experiences, musically speaking, to like getting the importance of the audience. And it's, it's, it's not so much about you expressing yourself as you communicating with the audience. And uh, that's where I learned that, playing in a fusion band. You know, you, you got to connect with people. You got to give them something or else they don't, they don't have to stick around. <laughs> um, when you were practicing, like how, what was your kind of practice um, mentality then? Were you, did you have books or were you listening to certain songs? You know, I would never really one of those uh, play other people's material folks. I, uh, I had a tendency to uh, play my scales, play my modes, you know, do, do all the, the music theory stuff. And uh, then I would just kind of play. I would just let myself go. Now, that doesn't mean I was never influenced by anybody's playing, that I never learned other songs and played with them, because I certainly did. But it really wasn't a focus of my playing. I, I kind of did that for a long time until uh, uh, this guy, Chip, that I used to take some lessons with, uh, he was just a cool guy, I gotta say. Uh, taught, taught me a lot of theory. And uh, he, uh, he was like, look, you know, what, it's awesome practice to just turn on the radio and play along with the radio. Like play along with the commercials, play along with whatever song comes along. Like just train yourself to adjust quickly to what the next song is and what, you know, what the structure of it is and latch onto it and play something. And that's a really good way to practice. Um, so after, so what happened after technical difficulties? Let's see, after technical difficulties, uh, the next band, I believe, was the Five Year Plan, uh, named after the David Bowie song, Five Years. And uh, the fact that the lead singer and I were on the five-year plan of going to university, um, both mainly because both of us had gotten kicked out the year earlier for <laughs> indiscriminate and foolish activities. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that band was the first time I played with a really professional drummer. And he, from him is where I really learned about uh, uh, song structure and arrangements. Because he was like, he was really focused on that. And I began to realize, oh, that's how, you know, for, for uh, somebody playing an instrument, a chordal instrument, a string instrument, or whatever, you're, you're dealing with chord changes. But as a drummer, you're not dealing with chord changes. You're more, more important to you are changes of parts. When the chorus becomes the bridge, when the verse you know, starts to make its way into the chorus, but you need to do something to let people know, hey, something big is about to happen. You know, that's when you put in your drum fill. Previously to that, I had played with a lot of guys who were just trying to show you what good drummers they were. They were playing a lot. Yeah. And this guy, he, if he wanted to, he could play a lot, but he didn't do that very often. He just did it where it fit the song. And I learned a lot from him. He was one of the first guys that taught me to just shut the hell up. <laughs> Big important lesson for bass players. Just shut up. Should I play this? No, no, you shouldn't. Just play something simple, something that fits. Leave it at that. Should I change the? No, no, you shouldn't. No. Yeah. What if I were to play a chord? No, that's a terrible idea. Always. Don't do it. And that slap solo you were thinking about? Forget it. <laughs> So previous to uh, to jamming with him, were you did you want to like show off and you know have like really active yes. parts? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, one of the the things about uh, five year plan, uh, which was 
also featured TJ Scanlon, the original guitarist with the Slackers. Okay. So actually these things are connected. TJ came from the Neil Young school of guitar playing. So TJ would play these like technically simple, but really emotive solos. And he would come up with these like really crunchy, grungy guitar sounds for chord parts and, and just let them hang. So I learned a lot from him too about, again, shut up and keep it simple. But uh, because he was doing that and the drummer was really focused on keeping the arrangement tight, I could play whatever the hell I wanted. And I did. <laughs> hell yeah. But I, uh, I learned to, to cut that back. Um, out of curiosity, like now when I see you play, you play your bass on the throne or the stool. Right. Were yeah. you doing that back then too? No, no. Back then I just played with a strap. Uh, I, um, geez, I keep, I don't, I'm gonna have to like figure out exactly when <laughs> this happened, but uh, the Slackers were on tour. We were doing a gig at the Velvet Elvis in Savannah, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was on my skateboard getting a slice of pizza. And uh, I slowed down to look at a bright yellow uh, 67 Mustang. And next thing you know, you know, you can going slowly on a skateboard, not paying attention. I hit the world's smallest pebble. And next thing you know, I'm flying ass over tea kettle. I land in the middle of the road and I've broken my wrist. Oh man. So this was, this was like 25 odd years ago, maybe mm -hmm. really 25. Oh my God. No, it couldn't <laughs> have been. Must've been like 99. Yeah. Something like that. 98, 99, 2000. So anyway, we were, you know, we were living in a van. We were totally broke, didn't have any health insurance. So I wrapped my wrist in duct tape and uh, I played upright. So if, if you, you know, you can, if you duct tape your wrist straight, you can just kind of move it up and down the upright. Yeah. So I duct taped my wrist straight and took a bar stool, threw the bass on the bar stool and then did a three hour gig. Jeez. And I played like that ever since. And eventually my arm, my wrist healed. Like, look, it, you know, <laughs> it moves again. But uh, I started to realize that uh, to, you know, as I said, I play upright. So I would be playing upright for the ska tunes. Mm -hmm. And then when I go on tour, I wouldn't have the upright. And I'd have to try and play ska tunes on the electric bass. And it, it never really felt the way I wanted it to. But when I started doing the bass on the, the bar stool thing, uh, that felt right. Like it, I could play more like an upright. I could get the kind of timing and, you know, you can't see my hands moving. This thing is <laughs> you know, it's like I could get all that stuff together and um, it, it made more sense. It really did. I felt I could play ska more authentically if I played it in that style. Yeah. And I mean, just like you were saying earlier, just having that feeling, and the authenticity, I'm sure, you can mm -hmm. def, you can totally hear it in, in your style and the slackers' music. You can just hear the authenticity that y'all love, what you do, and the live shows too. It's, I love your shows. Oh, thanks. We love the live shows. Yeah, it, it's heartbreaking not to be able to <laughs> to to play for the slackers' audience. They're the best. Yeah, man, we love you. Uh, I'm in San Antonio, so like. We always go up to Flamingo and Austin. Yeah, we play with you um, at Jack's Patio, which isn't around anymore, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so after the five-year plan, uh, what was your next kind of musical step? Uh, after the five-year plan, uh, I, jeez, uh, it, was, it was about six months before. Oh, no, I... I played with a local buddy of mine in a metal band, but that didn't go anywhere. And then uh, one of my sister's friends, Happy, heard me practicing and was like, hey, man, um, my band needs a bass player. And that band was Sick and Mad. And Sick and Mad is where I met Vic Ruggiero. So, um, and that's, you know, Sick and Mad was like this anarchic punk commune of a band. And like the whole point was to break all the rules, which I just loved having come from just, you know, playing in like fusion jazz bands. I was like, oh, my God, this is the best. People are just playing noisy. People are playing discordant. People are, you know, jumping up and down and screaming and throwing things. I was like, this is fantastic. I love it. 
And uh, it was so much fun. And then one day Vic's like, hey man, uh, do you want to join a ska band? And I'm like, sure, what's ska? I had no idea. Uh, so he gives me a tape and one half is the specials, their first album and selected cuts from the second album. And the other side is all Scatolites. And he's like, learn this and come to rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> that That's so wild. Um, so when you got that cassette, like what was your initial just thoughts on ska music? Well, the thing was, when I got it, I heard it. I heard the song Ghost Town. And I had heard Ghost Town when I was 13, like back in like 1980. It was part of a, a news broadcast. I was, a, a, you know, kind of a news junkie. So even back then. And uh, I was I heard this song as the background music for a story on you know, Eng uh, Thatcher's England and how the country was going down the shithole. Uh, and I, I loved the song. I'd never heard anything like it. And I was like, this music is incredible. But, you know, at that time, 13 year old kid couldn't really access underground music coming out of England uh, safely. <laughs> As I got a little older and a little bigger, I would access such music not safely. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard. But yeah, that was my I had been exposed to it. So when I heard it again, I was like, holy shit, this stuff is super cool. And uh, yeah, and the Skylights, too, I was blown away with because it was just. It was just wholly different, you know, like I could I could recognize. Things that had come from it and things that had come before it but uh, it was wholly different. And I was completely blown away by that. And then of course, you know, I go to go to play with it and like uh, sick and mad songs were always interesting musically because Vic wrote the music. Uh, Happy would write the lyrics. And then I go to this play with Vic with the slackers and it's like, we weren't called the slackers yet. We were just jamming. Um, uh, anyway, Vic's got these great songs. Like right away, I was like, holy crap, this guy writes really good pop songs. And uh, yeah, and the drummer, Luis Zuluaga, very interesting guy, really interesting drummer, real challenge to play with. So I was, I was intrigued. And uh, Vic and I, one of the things we talked about, one of the reasons we started the Slackers was we were tired of being in bands that practiced all the time and never did any gigs. We were like, look, let's just learn, a, you know, 30 minute set, like whatever, six, eight, 10 tunes and uh, just get gigs. And we were both the, the hustle guy, you know, the guy that wanted to get out there and get some gigs and get the ball rolling and make something happen. So that, that worked out nicely. Yeah. I was reading on the website that y'all were doing like a hundred plus shows, like every year since 97 or so. Like, Yeah, that's about right. I mean, before that, though, I mean, we, we first started in, in 91. Mm -hmm. And even back then, like, you know, we were we were all living on the Lower East Side. And, and like, we were still doing like <laughs> three, four shows a month just in New York City. And like, you know, places we could get to in a rickety old Volvo that may or may not make it 50 miles. But we were still we were still cramming in like, you know, whatever that totals out to be like. 30, 40 shows a year, even for the first few years before we like went on the road seriously. And when we did go on the road seriously, we were doing like 200, 250 shows a year. Like we never came home. We were gone for the first, like between better late than never red light and the question. I think we were on tour an average of 200 days a year. And we were going everywhere we could, you know, we we're going to Europe two times a year. We'd be going to Brazil, Japan, it was pretty great, but exhausting. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I don't think I could do it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when you first started the Slackers, was was your goal um, to just, you know, be known for your music or were you just trying to just play like with your friend? I think we were really just trying to play, play the music we liked, uh, be good enough to play in front of people. I remember like, one of my goals back then was to be big enough to play like 
the the clubs I used to see bands play in the city. Mm-hmm. So that was like, you know, the New York City has a lot of clubs. And I was like, you know, Irving Plaza is like a 1500 seat venue. And I was like, it, it would be amazing to be in a band that could do that. And like, thank you, God, we, <laughs> we got to do that. It's unbelievable. You know, but we're, we're still like, we, I, we play a lot for each other, you know? We're still friends. We still like each other. We still enjoy playing together. And, uh, you know, that's that's a big part of it. I, I think if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, since y'all have been the Slackers since 91, do you have any advice for maybe musicians who want to keep that longevity and like friendship like is there anything that you did yeah that... don't don't break up just because <laughs> you want to kill each other that's not a good enough excuse um i i would all recommend doing something else for money uh you don't really being a professional musician is 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 a good way for a lot of people to kill their passion about music so you know it's it's not the worst thing if you could be you know <laughs> gainfully employed and also do gigs like eight, 10 times a month. It is possible. I know people who do it. So it, I think that might be the best option. Awesome. Great advice. When you started writing um, baselines for the slackers, you had just got into Scott. Like what was your kind of mindset when you were writing then? Hmm. Well, Hmm. Early on, we were playing more two-tone stuff. So it was a little quicker, a little more involved. Uh, I remember being fixated on the, the Horace Panther from the, the bass player from the specials. He had this thing where he would play the root note and then do a flurry on the flat five and the five. So it'd be like, doom, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, nobody does that. I was like, that's the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. And I put that on at least at least three or four of the early slacker songs. The very early slacker songs when we didn't have a horn section, mm-hmm. uh, we re-recorded and released as uh, uh, the Nods, N-O-D-S. Okay. And uh, if you don't have that, check it out. It's basically the slackers play two-tone before, uh, you know, Dave Hilliard said, you guys can't play this rock and roll crap anymore. <laughs> I would definitely check that out. Just joking. Just joking. <laughs> we're just joking. Um, so I, I want to just bring up a uh, Wasted Days. Like, how'd you come up with, was that your baseline? Um, or yep. was that? That was a baseline. To be fair, that was a baseline that I've been messing around with. Uh, if you listen to the, the Slackers cover of uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, the bass line is essentially the same thing. You know, it's it's like an offset one drop on the root followed by an arpeggio. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the timing of the bass line is really to set up the drummer. So the drummer can do like a big fill into the, the, the change mm-hmm. and kind of like extend it beyond the one. So, you, you know, in reggae, you're going for a one drop. So if you've got a, a really skilled drummer, we'll play a fill that goes all the way up to the very edge of the one drop. You know what I mean? Not just like stop at the zero and, and let it go. It's like you really want to set up that one drop so that a really good reggae drummer will take it all the way up to the edge. And that's what I wanted to do with the bass line. So that's why it's boom, boom, da-da-da, boom, boom, da-da-da, boom, boom. It, everything that begins on the boom boom it really doesn't it begins on the da 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 boom boom yeah. da 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 boom boom because you're setting up that one drop yeah I, that's really it's really technical <laughs> <laughs> I, I love uh i love doing that and like you starting with the root note and I, so i'm not i guess i don't know all the the words but the fifth but the lower octave i guess mm-hmm. the lower fifth i love doing that i hear you do that a lot and like sure. for the drops Sure. I mean, you, you, you could take some like, you know, classic Jamaican rhythms. Uh, uh, the, the, I'm trying to think of any right off the bat to just do that. That's, 
You know, it seems so simple, but it's, it's, if that's what you're going to do, you have to get every one of those notes right. There's no room to hide. There's no room for your field to be off. Like, I, 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 that to me, that's a big issue. Like, people are like, oh, I played really, really fast. It's like, yeah, but I couldn't hear the difference really between any of the individual notes. All I could really tell you were doing was playing really fast. If I go boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. You can tell where all those notes are. If I all of a sudden start going boom, 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 boom. You know that's totally different. Simply, but totally different. Yeah, absolutely. So when you, when the socks were starting, did you still listen to like metal music or did you start listening to more? Well, I had a revelation after my fusion band era where I started listening to a ton of James Brown. Uh, I I got a a James Brown greatest hits record and was listening to it. I was like, James Brown has like five number one hits that are in one chord. He doesn't change chords at all. He's like, guys, play something funky in G for about, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes. I'm not even going to say any words. I'm just going to make these like guttural screaming noises. All right. So yeah, 15 minutes, G, I'll check back on you. And the band kills it. They kill it. You know, you've got like some of the, the great bass players are coming out of that band, you know, Bootsy Collins, not the least. And they're just jamming on G for literally 10 minutes. And it's a number one hit song. Everybody knows it in the entire world. You know what I mean? It's like, I came to that and I was like, coming out of the fusion background where we had like, you know, 18 chord changes every four (laughs) beats. And I was like, I was like, you have got to be able to do this with one chord before you have earned the right (laughs) to play a second chord. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen? I know I'm a real wacko when it comes to bass playing. Like all the other bass players are like, I like to play all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, no, you don't deserve to play a second chord. (laughs) Play one chord only. (laughs) Until you get it right. (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen Bootsy, uh, the video Bootsy Collins teaching you how to play funk on YouTube? Mm, I don't think so, but I'm not 100% sure on that. It's, I mean, I've seen some Bootsy videos, you know, uh, there's one he did many years ago mm-hmm. for a rock school, an English show called Rock School, which I saw. And he shows you like the fundamentals mm-hmm. of how to play funk, like where you're supposed to put the beats. Yeah. Uh, is that it? I believe so. He's basically just saying like on the root note, on the one, you hit the root note and yeah. then you have space to fill in. Yeah. The next time one comes around, mm-hmm. the root note, and that's pretty much like how how he explains it. Yeah, totally. I mean, believe it or not, uh, like funk was really my thing when I got out of my metal phase. Uh, before I got into ska, I was all about funk. I wanted to join a a go go band in in DC and and play that kind of like soul funk that was going on back in the uh, late eighties, early nineties, but. Uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. Can you uh, can you play slap bass? I can. If you look at my thumbs, you'll see that there's a calcium deposit over here, which I developed from playing too much slap bass. <laughs> As I said before, nobody wants to hear you play slap bass. <laughs> if you want to do it, that's great. Knock yourself out. It's a lot of fun. I love doing it. I have a physical deformity as a result of doing it too much, but no one wants to hear it. You will not hear a slap funk solo in the middle of a slackers concert for two reasons. A, no one wants to hear it. And B, I don't want Vic and Dave to kick my ass. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but you will hear a Misfits cover in the middle. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the people are every now and again, somebody asked me, they're like, what is the slackers punk rock connection? You know, you guys have been on punk rock labels. You have this punk rock association and I listen to your music and I don't hear any punk rock whatsoever. <laughs> Pardon me. And I'm like, well, you know, we listen to a lot of stuff. Uh, it doesn't always come out 
in a straightforward manner. Like I listen to a lot of country, a lot of old country. And uh, it comes out every now and again, but it's not like every tune sounds like a country tune. Who is some of your favorite country artists? Uh, I'm a big fan of the older stuff. I, uh, I'm a huge Patsy Cline fan. I love old Willie Nelson stuff. Uh, I, I love bluegrass, like the Monroe Brothers. Uh, I, I'm a big fan also of like the gospel groups, like the, uh, the Osborne Brothers. Not gospel, I meant uh, uh, doo-wop harmony, like that sort of thing, like the, like the Osbournes and uh, the Jordanaires, uh, stuff like that. Big fan of that. That was one of my loves about uh, uh, getting into the whole ska, Jamaican music, retro music scene was uh, I'd, I'd seen uh, the movie The Harder They Come when I was young. And I, would, I, was, I was really into like doo-wop and 50s uh, tunes. So is Vic, by the way. That's the, one of the great unknown slacker things is Vic and I grew up on classic rock radio, 50s, 60s, 70s hits. And we, we love and know all that stuff. And we are huge doo-wop fans. But the, the doo-wop connection is one of the things that really attracted me to Jamaican music because there's so much vocal harmony stuff, uh, particularly in like the, you know, the 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 rock steady era and the 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 the, the mid to late ska era uh, you just like those are the bands those are the groups that are making it they're all about these three part vocal harmony groups you know you can name the techniques the tanners hell even the you know toots and the maytals had three people see even the even the the, the whalers had three guys singing like it was all these guys you know they just that was the sound of the day and uh, I was really a huge fan of that. Really a huge fan of that. Still am. Yeah, I think that's great. Am I, I talking I, too much? Am I blathering? No, no. This is this is awesome. I, I'm enjoying every second. It it's great. Um, what have what has the slackers been doing uh, during this like pandemic time? Well, we've had to change a lot of the way we do stuff because you know obviously we uh, we can't be doing you know, a hundred gigs a year. It's just uh, not possible. Sorry, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to just fan camera there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had to do a lot more stuff online. We've been doing some of our, uh, our we, we have some kind of like historically regular shows like our, our Christmas show, our holiday show. Uh, we usually do, you know, a show in April, which was used to be called Slack Fest. Mm-hmm. And we usually do a... Uh, uh, boat cruise uh, at the uh, the end of August, early mid August. So we're trying to do events online, like do live stream concerts, uh, and uh, and kind of trying you know make a big deal about it. We did one for the holidays. We did one for Valentine's Day. I'm sure we'll have one coming up in the next month or two. But uh, we've also been really uh, we've been trying to do a, a Facebook live stream show every sunday so one of the band members will be featured and uh you know, literally we've all done it and it's, it's pretty cool to see what the guys are doing uh one of the questions you sent me was you know have you been creative during the pandemic how has it been affecting you and it's butchered me creativity yeah. cr- creatively speaking like i have i i haven't written a new song in a year and three months yeah uh, which is not good that's not good. that's yeah. not good. yeah but because of these live streams, I've had to, you know, I wanted to perform some of the songs I'd written and I can't play bass and sing at the same time for the most part. Mm. So uh, I had to practice how to play guitar and sing and do my own stuff. And that's like, that's been really fun for me. It, it It's creative, but it's not like creating out of the thin air creative. It just, uh, flexing my muscles, you know, particularly muscles that don't get flexed much. Like I don't play much guitar and I certainly never sing in public. <laughs> so I've been having a lot of fun doing these live streams, you know, like learning my own material that I wrote, like songs I wrote 15 years ago that I never sang since and, uh, and learning how to sing them and doing them on, on a live stream and getting a positive reaction has been really cool, but I've been trying to do different. I've done like 10 now. So I've been trying to do different songs and it's been really kind of fun for me, like, you know, learning wacky songs and, and, and trying to sing them. 
And then some of them I can play on the upright. So I've I've been playing, uh, which is weird, right? (laughs) Like I can't play them on electric bass, but suddenly I can play on the upright, which is a much harder instrument to play. So there's there's a half a dozen tunes I can now play and sing on the upright. So I'm thinking when all this crap is over and I can actually go out in front of an audience, I might start doing the acoustic ska stuff, you know, which everybody loves. Yes. So <laughs> I might give my, you know, give it a shot because it's fun. I really enjoy it. You know, I've been on the sidelines in the background for 30 years. So it's kind of fun to do my own thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would be definitely awesome to see. Maybe at some slacker shows, some secret acoustic shows. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, usually at a slacker show, Vic does an acoustic song in the middle of the set. Maybe I'll do one. <laughs> Yeah, take that. <laughs> um, man, that's awesome. Do you know, are you planning to play like at the end of the year or sometime? Yeah, yeah. so far, I've, from what I've seen, uh, we are scheduled to, to do a bunch of shows starting mid-November. We're going out to uh, Chicago, then California, then back to the East Coast to do a bunch of uh, shows in, uh, just before Christmas. So yeah, we're we're starting to schedule stuff for real. Uh, you know, knock on wood, uh, things work out, and you know, people get their vaccines and they keep wearing their masks, and uh, we get this thing beat, and we can we can start meeting in public places again and doing <laughs> things like making music and having a good time. Yes, so ready, so ready for yeah, it. Yeah, right, man. I miss it so bad. It's like, yeah. it's I, my uh, life is gone. He, I, I had a, I talked to Tim from the Toasters, and he said, like the first Toasters show back is going to be the greatest Toasters show like you've ever seen. Do you feel man. that way? <laughs> I, I don't know, because we've we've done a few like outdoor private party events, mm-hmm. and. You know, for the slackers, we've been doing this for 30 years contiguously. So it's like we're a well-oiled machine. <laughs> when we don't play together for months and months at a time, it's just weird. You know, yeah. everybody's a little off. I think I think once we get back on the road and do maybe eight, ten shows, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll start getting our sea legs. You know what I mean? We'll start getting our like tour legs back together. We'll, we'll, we'll start firing on all cylinders. And then once we really get there, once we get, cause you know, you're in a band, you know how this goes. Mm-hmm. You get to a certain point where like what you're experiencing transcends what's going on where you're like, the band is hitting so hard right now everybody is like above and beyond themselves. It's a great, amazing feeling to be on a stage with really talented musicians. It's another thing when you're on a stage with really talented musicians and everybody's hitting 110%. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's incredible. And that's, that's the great joy. One of the many great joys, I should say, of being with the slackers. And that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> it's not just when we get together and play, it's great. Cause I love playing with the guys. But I can't wait till we get back to that, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're on fire, you know? This is what makes me arrogant about this band, because <laughs> this band is that fucking good. Yeah, absolutely. You you gave me chills just, like, because I know that feeling, like, when you're just performing and everyone's just locked in. And yeah, yeah. Crowd feels it. Everyone exactly. feels it. It's, Everybody's uh, going for it. You're all in the same <laughs> vibe. You're in a room full of people on the same vibe, heading the same direction. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. So yeah. How can you not miss that? You know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Is there going to be any new Slackers tunes coming out? Yeah. Yeah. We've been, uh, we've actually been banging away on a few things. We uh, came up with a, a COVID safe, recording situation where we're at uh, our engineer's house Mm -hmm. and we're on three separate floors. So everybody's, you know, really divided. I get my own room and um, it's, it's fine. Yeah. We can, we, we have TV monitors, video monitors and, and audio monitors in our, in our locations. So we're all in the same place. Like if you really want to tell somebody off, you can scream at them and they'll hear you. 
but it's uh, it's 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 interesting. It's not ideal, you know what I mean? Like the yeah. the vibe of the band is definitely everybody being together, everybody playing in a positive, pardon me, positive way. Mm-hmm. But uh, it works, and we got some tracks done, and there were some good new tunes that were brought in. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, oh, so recording question: When Slackers record, do you record all together at once, or do you guys? Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Is there normally like a, <laughs> that's, a that's click? Really, huh? Do you all play to a metronome or just feel? Oh God, no, no. <laughs> Have you heard Ara Babajan play? <laughs> we don't need no metronome. He's the most he's the most solid drummer I've ever played with, man. That guy, I played with him for over 20 years. I think I've heard him drop a beat twice. And this is, you know, averaging a hundred plus shows a year, rehearsals, recordings, twice. Hmm. Twice. I've dropped my bass on my foot more often than he's dropped a bass, a beat. Yeah, we don't we don't need a metronome. Yeah, and it's not the way we play things anyway. If our songs are going to speed up or slow down, fine, they're going to speed up or slow down. <laughs> yeah, the, it's so awesome. Just, again, going back to the authenticity and the feeling, like, that's why you can hear it in, in y'all's music. Um, I think that's the punk rock of it. You know what I mean? The, the, the punk rock is the, the attitude of this is good because this expresses the way I feel not because it's perfect yeah i 100% agree um for any gearheads what kind of uh gear are you using right now or for recording uh, as you know from from playing with me i just use whatever gear the opening <laughs> band will let me borrow uh with slackers learned this trick from the scatolites a long time ago like you don't have to haul your heavy damn ass <laughs> equipment around if you just borrow somebody else's you know, he, um, so I just make do with whatever's there. Uh, my personal preference, though, I like really crunchy, uh, dirty sounding amps. Uh, so uh, if 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 I have, you know, obviously an Ampeg SVT with an Ampeg 8x10, that's the first choice. That's the best amp in the world. It gets the best tone. Uh, you won't go wrong with that. But if I get to be stupid picky, I like like a 1970s acoustic 370 or 470 uh, or a custom 200 head. Uh, the the 2x15s are okay, but I, I almost always prefer the 8x10s, mainly because when you're on stage, I think the, uh, the 15s are hard to hear. They're so low and heavy. Whereas those those little ten inch speakers are compensating, but for being smaller by having a, a big array of them, so they still push a ton of air. They still get the low notes, but they're up closer to your ears, and they're they're pumping out more sympathetic frequencies. So your brain interprets the the low tones better, I believe, than with the fifteens. Fifteens are great if you're standing, you know, twenty feet in front of them. But yeah. when you're on stage, you're standing like between, you know, two and eight feet from yeah. your speaker. And like tens just, I think, cut better. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I do like a real dirty amp. If I can get a real dirty amp, I'll take it. Uh, you know, for, for, the, for the longest time, I used to play these late 60s Vox hollow body basses. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had built-in distortion. And... You know, with the slackers, obviously, like heavy distorted stuff is not always apropos, as in, you know, maybe one song out of 150. <laughs> but uh, for me personally, when I'm just playing by myself, I like to rock out with really dirty, crappy, sound, not crappy, <laughs> but dirty, muddy sounding uh, basses and amplifiers. My main bass right now is a 1969 Gibson EBO with that ginormous mud bucker pickup up near the neck and man that thing is massive it puts out such a tone and if you want to crank it into an amp that can be overdriven it puts out so much power that it sounds incredible overdriven it's like the geezer butler special yeah 
Yeah, I love Geezer's tone. Um, when, how did you, uh, or why did he switch from the Vox to the Gibson? How that? Come oh, about? My, mainly because they kept breaking. I had one that lasted for about fifteen years, and then it like it literally fell apart during a show. Literally fell apart. And then I, I got like another half a dozen, and they just kept breaking. You know, they were like 40, 50-year-old instruments, and they just, yeah. you know, they, they didn't withstand the heavy touring and the, the harsh way I play them. So uh, eventually I uh, uh, I got, first I got a Fender, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't like the tone. It wasn't deep enough. But it was it was a tough bass. I never had any problems with it. And then I got the Epiphone, uh, which I liked a lot until it crapped out on me. I br- I beat basses up pretty bad. <laughs> I really do. So it's kind of like it's. I don't really like getting super high end. Not even super high end. Like even like medium high end basses. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna buy like a real like you know five thousand dollar instrument and go take it on the road and kill it. So. <laughs> I'm loath to bring out my vintage instruments and we haven't been touring a lot. So I've been using the Gibson just because I'm doing mostly like mellow gigs or studio gigs, but I love it. It plays amazing. Such a great bass. Short scale too. Yeah. Are you yeah. going to take it out on a tour? Are you going to find a different touring bass? Funny thing. Uh, when I've had it out on tour, the fans don't like the way it looks. They don't like that SG shape. It's like this little SG shape and the fans don't like the way it looks. Uh, I have that big white uh, Epiphone Jack Cassidy bass and people like the way that looks. So what are you going to do? Yeah. You got to give the people what they want. Like I was yeah. saying earlier, you don't yeah. want them to leave. Yeah, for sure. Man, that's so crazy. Has has anyone just came up and like told you that? Like fans have told you like where's your where's your Epiphone at kinda? Uh people have asked me where the Voxes are at. I oh. definitely get that. I definitely get that. Um I've heard the funny thing is people won't say stuff you to people won't say stuff to you directly so much. I've heard from other people and other band members that folks don't like the way that bass looks. The 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 EBO SG shape <laughs> it's just just not right for the situation. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I can see like you know I usually wear a white suit, so if I've got the big white base, it kind of goes with the the big white suit. Uh, you know, I get that. Yeah. I have seriously thought about taking that big mud bucker pickup out of the EBO. <laughs> And just drilling a giant hole in the Epiphone and putting it in there. I seriously thought about that. I know it's a terrible thing to do. I mean, because yeah, it could be awesome. But yeah, also just taking it off of that Gibson, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> that would have to be done very carefully. Taking yeah. it off the Gibson would be surgery because you have to put it back. Yeah. Yeah, it has to go back. <laughs> I don't know when, but it would have to go back for sure um all right well what what are your plans for uh, the rest of the year like from what are marcus's plans it doesn't have to be soccer related well what are my plans uh um i don't really have a lot of plans you know i'm really looking to see where the cards are going to fall you know what i mean what the dice are going to roll up as uh I, yeah, it's, it's hard to call. You know what I mean? If, if yeah. things straighten up by midsummer, I, I might be doing shows again. Yeah. If things don't straighten up by midsummer, uh, I'll be learning more songs to do on my next <laughs> live stream. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot up in the air right now. I know everybody's in the same mm-hmm. situation. So I'm sorry. It's not a conclusive answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, for sure. And then um, just, Final question. I want to see what you think of this state of ska music right now. Well, I haven't been able to see anything about the state of ska music in a long time. So, cause I haven't been out and around getting to see stuff, but I, you know, last time I was out, I thought things were good. You know, I think uh, there's, there's been a, 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 a real strong foundation of, uh, of traditional ska, traditional rock steady, influenced bands in the scene and as far as i'm concerned that's a good thing 
And uh, I also see some some good younger bands that have got like, you know, a more uh, energetic, a beat approach to stuff. But they're still good bands and they're still kicking ass. So I, I will be really curious to see, like with with all this downtime, if if some great new bands don't come out. I mean, there, there are some great bands on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Midwest, down in Texas. There's, there's a lot of good bands out there. And, like, we're actually kind of lucky that no one's looking at us. You know what I mean? It's like it, it would just get messed up if somebody thought there was money to be made here. So it, it's kind of a good thing that things are cool and, and nobody's looking. So, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, think of the last time you went to a Sky show. The bands were good. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Right? Yeah. It's, it's a good time for Sky. It's, it hasn't always been that the bands were good. Sometimes the bands were stupid. Mm. <laughs> and now, you know, most of the time they go to a show and and I'm, I'm psyched, man. I think the bands are good. They're doing interesting stuff. They're doing it well. And uh, it seems like, you know, there's, there's still some new young bands coming out there want to play ska, which is, which is really important. You know, it's really important that we keep it going. It's been going for, Jesus. I mean, we're talking 60 odd years of ska. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it goes from one generation to the next. It's, it's important that we keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I introduced it to my daughter who's twelve, and wow. uh, <laughs> you have a twelve-year-old daughter. I do, I do, wow. and um, I have yeah. a three-year-old son. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, awesome. Um, I was uh, doing a Westbound Train cover, a bass cover, and I put on my cabbie hat like you have, and she's like, <laughs> she's like, did you put on your ska hat? <laughs> <laughs> um, have you interviewed thaddeus he's a great guy um i haven't i actually uh i did that cover and i tagged him on facebook and he responded so uh, he's a, he's a really <laughs> great guy if i if you ever do a thing with him remind him to say i mean please say to him that uh, i pointed out to you he's a great guy he would love to do this he's a dad too this guy dad too <laughs> awesome i i would definitely reach out to him um and i want to thank you for your time I had a pleasure talking to you. It was awesome. Uh, cheers. Thank you, Jacob. I'm, I'm glad we were able to reconnect. Oh, you know? yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really cool that we were able to reconnect. Yeah, for sure. And I hope to see you hopefully this year, but I hope to see you safely whenever oh, I do. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I can't wait to get down there, man. I, I missed the, uh, the Carnegie Sada. Yeah. It's like, you can't get it everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's you have the best to, in San Antonio. You have to let me yeah, know. My parents have a Mexican restaurant, and I Do will really? 100% treat the slackers. Really? Oh, every time, every time oh, y'all come, you I'll better watch it. <laughs> you know we can eat, right? You That's... heard the legends. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen. Jesse Wagner calls us the <laughs> snackers. Oh my god! Oh man! Uh, oh, I... Yeah, you know, we might we might just do a gig in San Antonio <laughs> just because we can come to your folks' restaurant. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll make that happen too. Uh, you can you can play there if you want. <laughs> Ooh, stranger think... things have happened, my friend. Yeah. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. <laughs> All right, Marcus. Well, I appreciate it again. Thank you so much, and I I hope you have a great day. Thanks, thanks for having me, Jacob. You too, man. Have a great right. night. Thank Take you care. So much. Bye. All right, take it easy. Later.